BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to The Daily Break. I'm Andrew Tallman. Here's what's happening today at Newsweek. That didn't take long. Elon Musk buys 9% of the shares of Twitter, and all of a sudden, an April Fool's Day joke becomes a real policy proposal. That's right. Remember on April Fool's when Twitter said, hey, we're looking at an edit button. Ha <laughs> ha, nudge, nudge, wink, wink, say no more. Uh, ooh, now that's what Elon Musk wants, and that's what apparently most of Twitter wants. It's one of the most popular requests to Twitter over its history of a change to allow people to go back and edit their tweets. Of course, the philosophy of Twitter has always been these are text messages sent to the universe, and you can't edit a text message after you sent it, so you can't edit these. As we all know, fat fingers, fumbles, misspelling, and kofefe mean that there are all kinds of embarrassing tweets out there, and you don't want to delete it because it's important, but you can't edit it, so what's a person to do? Well, this proposal would allow you some kind of editing. The biggest question that comes up for people is, but does this mean changing the public record, since Twitter has become kind of the political version of the public record of conversation, especially for official accounts and elected leaders. So how do you get the editing ability without changing the fundamental record of what Twitter is? Well, here's my personal suggestion. I think they ought to go with a certain time limit to edit a tweet, let's say five minutes, 10 minutes or something like that, just because you discovered a typo. But the other possibility is if you're going to allow later on edits, or maybe even if you allow the instant edits, just include both. There's not a real problem in having original tweet, updated version. That is super simple, and it would preserve the record, and it would allow people to clarify their mistakes, possibly even changing a position if they no longer agree with what they wrote before. That'd be up to them. News organizations do this all the time. We post the original with an update or a clarification. No big deal. Other things that came up in the conversation were pronouns to be included in your profile as opposed to just in your bio. But that would, of course, mean that people who don't believe in the gender identity ideology concept would be forced to use a pronoun when they'd prefer to use no pronouns at all and think other people shouldn't be using them either. There were a lot of suggestions related to disinformation, harassment, closed accounts, quote, tweeting other people without the person, quote, tweeted knowing that they've done it. But my personal favorite was a suggestion that you could take somebody on Twitter who you follow and temporarily unfollow all of your accounts, follow all of theirs, and be able to essentially see Twitter from their perspective before you undid the change. So if this feature went into place, you would be able to look at Jimmy Fallon's Twitter feed, or the Pope's Twitter feed, or whomever you like. UFOs, extraterrestrial life, and alien objects whizzing around our planet. The truth about these matters has been the subject of presidential jokes on late-night television, the truth is that when I came into office, I asked, right? I, I was like, all right, you know, is there the lab somewhere where we're keeping the uh, <laughs> alien specimens in spaceship? Uh, the answer was no. It's been grist for thousands of television episodes and movies. But more recently, we've had declassified naval video. Uh, they're, they're shooting, shooting, 
Did you box moving target? Gosh. We're going against the wind. The wind's 120 knots to the west. Even to the point of former pilots involved in these incidents talking about it openly on 60 Minutes. You know, I think that over beers we've sort of said, hey man, if I saw this solo, I don't know that I would have come back and said anything because it sounds so crazy when I say it. Giving us more reason to believe that there's something going on here. And just this week, the Pentagon has released over 1,500 pages of previously classified documents related to its UFO program in response to a 2017 request from The Sun, a British tabloid, making a Freedom of Information Act request to the U.S. Advanced Aviation Threat Identification Program, ATIP. And now UFO expert Nick Pope spoke to News Nation's Leland Vittert and says, we're still not quite sure. No, we're not quite there yet. But what we have seen over the last three or four years is this subject coming out of the fringe and into the mainstream. But we're getting closer and closer to figuring out which of the alternatives is the right explanation. One theory is that this is next generation aerospace tech, secret prototype aircraft and drones. Some people say it might be U.S. tech secretly tested on one part of the military by another to see how we we react. And of course, there's another theory that this is adversary technology from from Russia or China, for example. But, you know, the extraterrestrial hypothesis is out there, too. The current defense bill has several provisions related to UFOs, and senators like Marco Rubio have said, we need to know the answers. Maybe soon we will. And if talk of advanced research military projects by the U.S. or our adversaries or by somebody who didn't come from this planet at all isn't enough to weird you out, now I bring you Talking Fungi. Now, hear me out. Andrew Adamatsky, he works at the Unconventional Computing Laboratory at the University of West England, Bristol, and his job is to make prototype devices using non-mechanical, as in biological, chemical, and physical substrates, you know, kind of building a computer out of plants, for example. And based on research over the last decade from others, there's some indication that maybe members of the fungus kingdom can communicate. In his latest study... Adamatsky collected four different species of fungi, ghost fungi, inaki, split gill, and caterpillar. He prodded the specimens with electrodes, and he recorded changes in electrical activity. His findings, published in the Journal of Royal Society Open Science, showed long trains of electrical spikes that compare with neural activity or neurons. And as he analyzed those spikes, he came to a conclusion that he thought he could have identified roughly a 50-word vocabulary in a syntax of fungal language. In other words, when you're looking at the mushrooms, they might be looking back and talking about you. However, he says he's a realist, and there is another option. They're saying nothing at all. It could just be random results of the stimulus applied. But he doesn't know, and we're not quite sure. And he says we should do future research, make a thorough, detailed classification of the potential fungal words derived from the trains of spikes, and see if we can figure out whether they're talking, and if so, goodness, what they're talking about. All I can say is if it turns out that the fungi are talking to each other, I just hope they don't hold all the yummy stroganoff and chicken marsala against me. That's it for The Daily Break. Be sure to head over to Newsweek.com for these stories and more, including our growing podcast lineup. And please consider subscribing to our digital and print editions of Newsweek if you haven't already, and hit the five-star button before you go. I'm Andrew Tallman. Thanks for listening to The Daily Break, brought to you by Newsweek.